the Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Okay, we're live. I'm Tim Linville, the host of the podcast, CEO of Construction Employers Association. Here with me today, I have my colleague Glenn Shoemate from CEA. I have Brian Hoagland from the Oswald Companies and Matt Grasshoff from Han Lozier and Parks Law Firm. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah, appreciate well, thanks it. Thanks for being here. Um, gentlemen, tell us, tell us about yourself. Matt, what's your background? Sure, Tim. So my name is Matt Grasshoff. I am an associate at Han Lozier and Parks here in the Cleveland, Ohio office. Uh, we're a national law firm, offices across the country. My practice for the last two years has been in construction law um, from beginning of the project all the way through to the end, uh, claim, documentation, dispute resolution, all those kind of things. Uh, before that, I was at a firm down in Akron doing uh, insurance coverage work for a number of years. So the, uh, the topic today is sort of, I'd like to think uniquely within my wheelhouse. Right. Brian, what about you? So I'm Brian Hoagland with Oswald Companies. And... I've been in the commercial insurance industry for 32 years, uh, 27 of those on the uh, property and casualty independent agency side. I uh, worked 24 years for a company called the Hoffman Group and was one of the owners there. And we sold it three years ago to uh, Oswald Companies, a much bigger company with a lot more resources. And it's uh, worked out to be a, a great a great merger. and. I primarily work with contractors, so I'll probably 70% of my book of business is, is construction. So mm -hmm. again, this topic, you know, I'm, we're in the, really into the weeds with this, and topic today is something that uh, all of our contractors have a concern of, and, and we've done a lot of work on it, and so just want to get the message across to everybody as far as what's going on with that. And Sure. So Brian, your company gets involved with helping contractors get the proper insurance for their, for their needs. And, and Matt, you're involved when there's a claim and when there's uh, potentially a claim. Exactly. But Matt, we're sold on claims or disputes, right? Oh no, never, never happened. Never. Never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything always goes exactly to plan. And Glenn and I are here as the uneducated, uninformed listeners who are here to ask the stupid questions. So I think we can, you and I can do Absolutely. that, right? Yes, we can. Okay. Great. So we're here today actually to talk about a specific issue that's come up last year with the Ohio Supreme Court decision in the Charles Construction case. Matt, would you describe that to us? Sure. Happy to. So Charles Construction was a insurance coverage opinion issued by the Ohio Supreme Court, as you said, Tim, back in October 2018. One of the things I'm really hoping to get across today is to make sure everyone understands what this decision is and what it isn't. What it is, is about CGL policies, commercial general liability policies, which is pretty much your standard bedrock um, business insurance policy that, Brian, I think just about every construction contractor out there is going to have. Without question, they all will, yeah. 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 So uh, with that being said, I want to sort of take a step back to start out, give a little bit of background on what CGL policies are, how they provide coverage, when they provide coverage to sort of lay the groundwork for um, our discussion of the Charles construction decision. Because, um, you know, you need those sort of building blocks to really understand, as I said, what the decision did and didn't do with CGL policies. So the, the first thing that I want to make sure we get across is the sort of the three-step analysis that 
um, all CGL uh, claims go through. Your first step in that analysis, you you send your letter into your either your broker or you know directly to the carrier saying I've got a claim. They're going to do the first step. They're going to analyze whether there was an occurrence. Now, an occurrence is a pretty standardized term in all CGL policies. Um, it essentially boils down to was there an accident? Because um, as we all know, insurance policies aren't designed to cover things that you know are for sure going to happen, anything like that. So the court wants to make sure that carrier wants to make sure when they're analyzing the claim, whether there was an accident here. Now, courts have said that accidents, as the term is used in a CGL policy, means an event that is unexpected as well as unintended. Now, that sort of embraces what the courts call this concept of fortuity. Again, that there was some sort of fortuitous happenstance accident that led to this insurance claim. Um, the Ohio Supreme Court, in a sort of a predecessor case to Charles Construction, used th this phrase to describe what they mean by the concept of fortuity. And I'm quoting here. This, insurance policies are not designed to cover, quote, normal, frequent, or predictable consequences of doing business, which businesses can control and manage, end quote. Anything that fits within that definition, courts are going to say, is not fortuitous, and therefore you're not entitled to coverage. So you won't get past that first step of the policy analysis. The second step, if you get past that, you have to analyze whether there are any exclusions in the insurance policy that the insurer can rely on to say, despite the fact that you showed there was an occurrence, there was an accident, you got past the first step, you don't, you're not entitled to coverage because of certain exclusions. In page 2043, line A, Roman numeral I, small a. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what you're here for, Brian. That's right. <laughs> um, that, so then, say the insurance company does point to an exclusion, you go to the third step of the coverage analysis, which is, is there any exception to that exclusion, which applies to given the facts of your, of your claim to reestablish coverage. So all of that being said, it's clear definitions in the policy are very important. Definitions that, you know, the courts have given to certain terms are very important. You need to have those in mind to understand Charles construction. So with all that, that exciting groundwork being laid, uh, let's talk about the case itself. Mm -hmm. So the Charles Construction case uh, related to a project. It was a conference center that was being built at Ohio Northern University. Charles Construction was the general contractor. Uh, and obviously, a number of subcontractors on the job. And Cincinnati Insurance Company was Charles Construction's CGL carrier. Uh, so the project is complete. After completion, uh, some water damage is discovered to the building, uh, direct damage from the water and also resulting damage to other scopes of work on the project. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Ohio Northern sues Charles Construction. Charles Construction files claims against uh, various subcontractors. Was the job uh, done? The job was done. Yeah, mm -hmm. the job was done. And occupied? That is my understanding, yeah. 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 So the case goes all the way up to the Ohio Supreme Court because Cincinnati takes the position that they're not required to offer coverage to Charles Construction because the damage was caused by defective workmanship by one of the subs. Everyone agrees it, the defective work was performed by a sub. The, the uh, opinion doesn't go into, doesn't name the subs, it doesn't say which sub did which defective work or what have you, but it's established that the, the work was done by a sub. 
Cincinnati is basing its position on a prior decision of the Ohio Supreme Court uh, known as the Custom Agri decision. In Custom Agri, the court, the Ohio Supreme Court took that position that I read earlier, that the normal, frequent, or predictable consequences of doing business that you can control or manage are not fortuitous, therefore they don't satisfy the occurrence requirement mm-hmm. of an insurance policy. In mm-hmm. Custom Agri, it was the, the GC that did the defective work. Cincinnati wants to extend so that. So they self-performed the work. Right. Okay. Yeah. In, in the Charles Construction case, Cincinnati is saying, well, based on that same reasoning court that you adopted back in Custom Agri, we should extend that also to apply to the work performed by, in this case, subs. So it gets up to the Ohio Supreme Court, and unfortunately for us, for those of us in the uh, construction industry, the court agrees with Cincinnati Construction. But they say that, yes. Cincinnati Insurance? Uh, yeah, sorry, Cincinnati Insurance. Um, based on those same rationales from the custom agri decision, the fact that you know this defective work performed by a sub was something that, in theory, you, Charles Construction, could have controlled, could have managed, could have prevented if you, you know carefully supervised this sub, because of all those reasons, there is no occurrence. You don't get past that first step of the coverage analysis. Right. <clears throat> I believe they also said, excuse me, <clears throat> that it's expected. People are going to goof up from time to time. Contractors don't always do perfect work. Mm-hmm. And it's it's natural. It's, it's it, you, it happens, you know. So I think that's part of the rationale as well, is they're like, hey, this is expected. Right, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, it's it's expected, and you're you're able to control it, you're able to manage it, right. and, and you failed to do so here. But you never you never know what is going to happen. No, I mean, of course, you know not. something's bound to happen. That's why you buy. That's why you buy insurance. So, well, that's exactly what all the contractors are saying. They're saying, "Are you kidding me? Why do I buy this policy if they're not going to step up and at least defend me?" Right. And and it's it's important to note that in the past. There's always been a your work exclusion in an insurance policy. So contractors understand that if they just do work and it's poor, then they're not going to have coverage for that. Right. But the smart attorneys, when they make a, a claim or file a lawsuit, they always in there somewhere say there's resulting damage. Because resulting damage, resulting property damage is covered. So if one of the allegations is that there's resulting property damage, they at least defend all of the lawsuit. Right. So at least they had defense costs in a defective um, workmanship situation. Right. But Cincinnati's argument is like saying, hey, you could have driven better. You had control over how you drove that car. So you may have not meant to, but technically you did whatever it took to have that accident. So it's your fault. You should have managed your driving better controlled your driving better. Sorry. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it goes back to your earlier point, Tim, that, you know, the court is sort of assuming that things will go wrong, that somebody, either you as the GC or a sub, will do defective workmanship. And that assumption, which I think we all disagree with, is sort of baked into the analysis. The court has, has made up its mind on that. Um, I wanted to, to touch on, Brian, your point about resulting damage. I think that's another really key thing to discuss here about Charles Construction again, in terms of what did the decision do and what didn't it do. In the decision itself, there's some some sort of ambiguous language about whether the Supreme Court was changing its position on that, whether it was saying that resulting damages 
which some people refer to as consequential damages, um, whether those would still be covered, as Brian discussed. In subsequent briefing after the decision, uh, Charles Construction and some of the other parties tried to get the court to change its mind, basically, mm-hmm. which the court never does, but mm-hmm. got to try. Um, in that subsequent briefing, Cincinnati actually admitted that consequential damages could still be covered as long as you meet that occurrence requirement. So they, they kind of backed off that maximalist position. Mm-hmm. Now, if when another claim comes up in the future, will they still back off or will they sort of change their minds? Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? That That's still to be seen. And they gave everybody big discounts on their coverage because of this decision, right? Oh, I'm sure, yeah. You can't imagine the educated contractors that I've been talking to and that have been going, we've had some seminars and, and we've put out a lot of things via LinkedIn or just via emails and, and things like that on this topic. And they all expect an, a reduction. Right. And... What the insurance companies have done in reaction to this is, I mean, they fully intend to have things like they always have been, where they defend cases that there is resulting property damage. And so what they've all done is, and they actually borrowed from several other states, Pennsylvania being one of them, that have already been through this. Mm -hmm. You know, they're ahead of Ohio in making this radical decision. So they borrowed from their forms and basically are saying that if there's a construction defect, we're going to say that it's an occurrence and then let's look at the policy, step two in your um, description earlier, Mm -hmm. um, to see whether or not there's exclusions or givebacks or whatever to see if there's coverage. Mm -hmm. But at least we're gonna say it's an occurrence. Now, some of the forms that the insurance companies have come out with say that they will do it for work on your behalf by a subcontractor. Others say for work on your behalf or your work. Okay. So some of them are a little more, are bringing in the subtrades work. Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe half of the carriers are just doing it if you're subbing the work out, more for the GCs, which, which leaves these, the trade contractors with nothing. Right. You know, that endorsement doesn't bring back the coverage that we mentioned earlier about at least getting defense costs because it's just giving it back for work performed on your behalf by a subcontractor. Hmm. So it's, it's we really don't know what's going to happen with this until some of these forms get tested. Right. Just like anything else. Right. I mean, and of all the forms that, it's you know same as you brian a lot of our clients have been sending us these proposed endorsements that they're getting from insurance carriers and none of them have sort of ticked every single box for me that make me completely satisfied that you'll you'll get around charles construction with this endorsement right um so yeah i think brian is exactly right It, it remains to be seen until one of those endorsements gets tested by a court um whether they're going to do everything that the insurance companies claim they're going to do now, the, I, the interesting thing is that in emails from the carriers, when we have proactively, right when this happened, we went said, how are you guys going to address this? They sent us their form from another state. We're going we're gonna to file for this with the Ohio Insurance Commissioners. And once it's approved, we will put this on every policy retroactively. With no upcharge. With and almost every case, no upcharge. Okay. I, at, least, at least you got it's, that. It's, 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 <laughs> no, it's too funny, Tim, because 
one of the carriers now is charging $150 for it. And I'm like, you were giving it before. You're really, I mean, are you kidding me? Right. I mean, yeah. is it really worth it to do that? But, but, that's, but that's what they're doing. So, wow. <clears throat> you know. Brian is wondering, what should a contractor talk to their agent about? What should they, what do they need to know? What should they do? Well, the, what we're telling all of our clients is that the first thing you should do is make sure that you're with a carrier that has a, a good endorsement and has a really good intention that they plan on the old days, do, doing business just like they did in the old days, which was old days was a couple of years ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so we've got, like I said, we have emails from carriers saying we fully intend to cover these. This form will do it. We disagree with some of the forms, just like you said, Matt. Some of the forms don't check all the boxes. However, we're keeping those emails right. to, to say this is their intent. Because um, it is, isn't it the case that they're they're people that are booking coverage, they're underwriting, sometimes don't talk to the, the claims people, and, and exactly. the claims people aren't bound by what the underwriters said. Right, exactly. There's sort of a, a left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing situation with so a lot of these Be careful carriers. with those guys. Yeah. Exactly. Well, well, it's funny. That's exactly what happened with one of the carriers. They just came out with a second endorsement because they came out with a first endorsement expecting that this was going to solve the problem. A claim came in and their claim department denied it because of the wording. Mm, their own wording. Their own wording. So you're right. They don't talk to each other all the time. So they came out with a second endorsement, endorsement that clarifies it. And now the claims department's happy and they're, they're going to defend a case now. Mm. But yeah, that's exactly what happened. They denied a claim because of the, <laughs> one side's not talking to the other side. So it's critical that, that so to answer your question, um, Glenn, the one thing they can do is, is do that. Make sure they've got an endorsement on the policy. Make sure their, their broker has them with a carrier that understands the situation and has a good endorsement. Um, the other thing that if you're a trade contractor, there's other insurance um, that's available, and it's what we call this rip and tear coverage. So in essence, what it is, and there's only two carriers that offer it. One's CNA's offered it for a long time, and there's another carrier, Berkeley, that just came out with it a couple months ago. But what it is is it'll pay for um, faulty workmanship, design errors and omissions, and use of defective materials or products. We've been using this endorsement and this policy for roofers, for electrical contractors, uh, for concrete contractors, the ones that qualify, for a long time. Um, Because CNA has had this product for a while. Um, So it'll pay, in essence, for your screw-ups, which you typically don't expect to do, which is why most carriers don't offer this type of a coverage. Right. But it's available. And mainly for commercial contractors, though they don't want it for residential contractors. This is where what I've been talking about today is really just commercial contractors, because the residential contractors—that's a whole different animal. So um, that's another thing that they can do from a trade contractor is—is is you can see if you can get this type of a policy, not that expensive. And again, we've been doing it for several years with a lot of these. Every roofer pretty much has this okay. endorsement especially if they work with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another thing that they can do. And if you're a general contractor, construction manager, 
I'm going to start putting this in my contract that the subcontractors have this coverage. That way, if there is a construction defect issue performed by the subcontractor, they've got coverage. So now it doesn't hit the general contractor's insurance. Right. And all this stuff that we're talking about with exclusions and with, is it occurrence or not? It's a moot point. They've got this other policy in place. So Brian, you wouldn't say it's an insurance industry trend, right? It's, it was this just a couple of bad examples of what has occurred. It's, it's, it's a, a trend you mean as far as carriers jumping in and, and offering this type of a rip and tear in coverage? Yes. Or, or the other side of it, of maybe not acknowledging that there is coverage, right? Is that something that an insurance company is trying to skirt? Is this, is this Charles construction decision in Ohio? Is Ohio an exception or is Ohio part of the oh. general rule in America? Yeah. I think there's seven or eight States maybe. Yeah, and this is one of those circumstances where, unfortunately, Ohio is exceptional. Um, not many states across the country have taken the sort of, the, you know, the Charles construction position. Right. That def- defective workmanship, faulty workmanship is not an occurrence. Most states, either by court decision or by, even in some states, legislative action, you know, a statute, they say that, yes, defective workmanship is an occurrence does get you past that, at least that first step of the analysis. You may still have to deal with exclusions, things down the line, but it is an occurrence. It is fortuitous. But Glenn, and to your point, I think it is, it's not unusual for the industry, the insurance industry, to try, try to get out of this coverage as a default rule. I noticed that um, the state of Michigan is is debating that issue right now, and the Agency of America right. is weighing in in favor of what is the old way in, in Ohio, unfortunately, now. Um, for the subcontractor defect to be covered under your CGL policy. Uh, AGC of Michigan is involved, and the AGC of America has gotten uh, mm-hmm. behind them. So I think it's probably a national trend towards trying to avoid right. offering that coverage, which is stupid because they're just going to give right the endorsements for no upcharge on the end anyway. Well, right. <clears throat> well, the interesting thing is that there is there's not that many that are doing it. You know, there's, I think I want to say seven or eight states because okay. we've, we've done some, I think in our last seminar we had, we listed the states out, Arkansas and Pennsylvania and a few others. But the carriers, they're not the ones that's, that are doing this. They might be fighting a claim here or there. But so how Supreme, or how Supreme Court or some other Supreme Court that's ultimately making these decisions and the carriers all come back to us, even Cincinnati, you know, that fought it, say, we intend to cover those with this endorsement that we have. So <laughs> it's unfortunate. I think it could depend on how big the claim is. Yeah. Oh, no, it, that is exactly what it depends on, I think. I mean, Charles Construction was uh, a multi-million dollar claim. Six or claim. seven million, yeah. I think. Mm. And, I mean, I think in, in one of our presentations, one of your colleagues has mentioned that he's even seen in, in claims since the Charles Construction decision came out, insurance companies sort of cite the decision and say, we could deny coverage based on this, but as a business decision, they decide, you know, we, we, we should cover this because yeah, we don't want to tick off our customer at the end of the day. Well, they I do that. apologize for the landscaping again. We had this on the prior episode and I, uh, I just asked Marisha to go out and shoo him away, but uh, sorry about that for those who are listening and hear that. Had some ambiance, you know, we're hard at work here. Yeah, that's right. That's that's right. right. Exactly. We're amongst the contractors. It's just not pile driving. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, no, you're fine. 
So I think it's, it's not the norm. Uh, I think the insurance companies all tell us that they plan on doing business the way they have in the past, and these endorsements should do that. We just need to have some time go by and some claims to come in and get processed to see whether or not they actually mean what they're saying. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really key point is that, you know, as we said in the intro, one of the reasons that we want to do this podcast and why, you know, Brian and I have done this presentation together a couple of times now um, is we want to get the word out about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, I think when a decision came out, it was you know relatively widely publicized on law firm blogs and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, we just did one of these presentations two weeks ago, Tim, here at CEA, right. and I, the majority of the room said they they weren't familiar with the decision. They hadn't heard about it before. So yeah, Brian, to your point, I think a lot of people just haven't, it hasn't affected them directly. They haven't had a claim denied based on this decision. Um, and until that starts to happen, it, it may not set in fully. So what about Ohio Northern? In this particular case, coverage was denied. Mm-hmm. So however many millions of dollars this the damage was, was denied, no coverage, which means who pays that bill? Well, the contractor is still going to be responsible. So the GC would be reliable for that amount of money? I would think a bunch of contractors would end up going in and getting together and deciding how they want to split up the, the bill. But insurance, all it is, is is a means to make a payment for somebody who owes something. Right, right. So mm-hmm. somebody owes that money. It's got to get fixed. If insurance company's not there to pay it, the contractors are stuck with it. Well, and yeah, and this is a key point, too. This sort of goes back to the, the consequential damages discussion we had earlier as well about whose who's scope of work is really at issue here. Everyone agreed that the defective work in the case was done by a sub. So if I'm Charles Construction or if I'm advising Charles Construction, I'm telling them you got to assert claims against your subs, which which they did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they started uh, other claims in the lawsuit. So Charles those, Construction would have to do that, right? They would have to do that, you said? It would be their responsibility to yes. assert those claims. Yes, exactly. They they should press those claims down to the sub who who did the defective work. And they better hope the sub has some money. Well, they better hope it has money or that it can get insurance coverage. Right. Because to go back to that consequential damages, resulting damages discussion earlier, hypothetically, say it was the, the window installer on the project that caused the damage. Like I said, the opinion's not clear on who exactly was at fault. Mm-hmm. But let's say it was the window guy. Sorry to whoever that is out there. Hopefully you're not listening. Um, say they installed the windows defectively, water gets in, it damages the drywall, the electrical in the wall, all that. All of that stuff, the drywall electrical, is resulting from the defective window installation. It's Mm -hmm. consequential to that. Okay. So they should still be able to get coverage for that damage. So their CGL policy, the sub's CGL policy, should, in my view, my, my view of the world, should have responded to this claim. So that insurance company, whoever it was, hopefully should have injected some cash into the uh, into the pipeline. And yeah, it would have eventually made its way up to Charles Construction and to Ohio Northern at the end of the day. Right. But apparently the, the actual work in this case was worth several million dollars, the defective work. Well, the defective work and whatever the resulting damage was. Oh, so that included consequential damages. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, like I said, the opinion does not, delve into that right into into the uh, sort of the underlying facts other than to say everyone agrees that the work was done by a sub mm-hmm. but no the the six or seven million dollars whatever the damages were would have included 
whatever the defective work was itself mm-hmm. and then whatever the resulting damages were as okay. well. So it depends on the scope of work as to how much the actual defective work was worth. Exactly. And how big that claim is going to be. Exactly. Yeah. So in a perfect world, in this situation, you would think that the subcontractors that, that did the windows in your example, mm-hmm. his insurance, his general liability. Yep. CGL. Would pay the resulting damage. He would then normally be responsible to tear out and reinstall the windows. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a business risk. And, and every contractor is aware of that. And they, they know that if they screw up and they got to tear it out and redo it, that's, that's on them. Mm-hmm. Now, I mentioned that rip and tear into, uh, policy that some of the carriers have, CNA and Berkeley, had this contractor, subcontractor, had that in, in place, GL would have covered the one part, and to rip and tear and reinstall the windows would have been covered by that other policy, um, which is it, what we, it's a contractor's errors and omissions policy. So little different from architects and engineers policies that are right. just for the design part. This is for the actual construction piece. Mm-hmm. And so then that's a way that a subcontractor could get coverage for things like that. So if you're an owner, if you're Cleveland Clinic, University Hospitals, Ohio Northern University, in light of this decision, before you build a project or when you're in the midst of contracting for that job, what do you want to watch out for? I'll, t- I'll take a shot at this, Brian. I think I would want to watch out for, uh, first of all, quality assurance, quality control on the job. I mean, that starts, of course, with picking your, your GC or f- if you've got multiple GCs, multiple primes, making sure you're picking contractors that have a good work history, don't have a huge claims history with their insurance carriers, that kind of thing. And that advice, by the way, also extends down to the GCs and the primes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of the things that we've told our clients, uh, in addition to checking out all these endorsements that are out there. The the court's whole rationale was that you can control and you can manage these, these subs and the work they're doing. So if, if it takes an extra couple bucks to hire a sub that you know is going to do good work, um, that, that might be worth it at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, but to go back to your, to your question, if I was an owner, um, I may also include in, in the contract documents and the flow down provisions that the, the GCs and their subs need to have some of these new endorsements that are coming out. Um, Brian, I don't know if you have any other suggestions. Well, <clears throat> the most important thing is knowing your subcontractors, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So a lot of times it's really competitive bidding. They take the lowest guy that's going to do whatever, the electrical work, the concrete work, the whatever. And not always the best decision to make if you don't know that contractor very well, but they have the lowest price. Right now, you're stuck with someone you're not comfortable with. That you don't know how what their financial situation is like. You don't know what kind of guys work for them. You don't have a lot of track record with them. So I think it's really critical that you know your subcontractors that you're picking. Um, so that's one thing that I would definitely recommend. Sure. And on the GCCM level, what do they need to be watching out for in light of this decision? Well, so like I said, I mean, QA, QC for mm-hmm. them as well, making sure that you're you're monitoring the, your subs as closely as possible, picking the best subs at the start of the job. On this insurance, though, what, what kind of insurance do they need to make sure they have? Well, I would say take a look at all the new endorsements that are coming out. 
in the wake of Charles construction, talk to your, your agent, call Brian, uh, call me and say, what do you think of this? What are the odds of getting coverage with this? Um, discuss with, with Brian, you know, whether it makes sense to get some of these other types of coverage beyond CGL. Um, because I think that's, that's a crucial part of it too, Brian, what you were saying a minute ago about, you know, maybe you need to rely on the, the CGL to get coverage for this part of, of the claim. And then you have a different policy that'll cover a different part of the claim, you know, sort of piecing together different policies, different types of coverage so that you get the full amount of your claim covered. If I just make sure that all of my subcontractors are bonded, performance and payment bonds, does that do the trick for me as a GC? Yeah, one of the th- things I was going to say from an owner's perspective is obviously public work, there's going to be a bond in place. <laughs> Private work, you don't have to have a bond, but m- we're seeing more and more uh, owners in, for private work asking for payment performance and, and uh, payment bonds. Okay. And does that cover them on this issue? Depends on circumstances. I, I mean, there's, I can't really mm-hmm. give yeah. you a definite answer. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say it's better than not having them, but it's no guarantee. There's never any guarantees. Right. What about subcontractor de- uh, default insurance for, from a GCCM perspective? Does that, does that address this issue from their perspective? Well, the SDI, one, it's you get only the really, really, really big boys can get that coverage. Okay. So that takes a lot of people out of the marketplace. How uh, big do you need to be generally? Oh, boy. Dale does a lot of that work in our office, but I think you need to be, oh, boy, I'm trying to think. I can't even remember exactly how much it is, but it's, we only have, 10, 12 contractors that qualify for that. Okay. And we insure a lot of contractors. Right. So. You got to be pretty large. You got to be really, really big. Justify it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's one thing is, is from owner's perspective, a bond would pl- be good. Also from owner's perspective, I would just make sure the contractual risk transfer one away from the owner, make sure that the, the CMs and the GCs have these coverages in place and specify the endorsements mm-hmm. that you want to see. You know, you want to see CG 2010 to CG 2037, which is pretty standard nowadays for additional insured endorsements. Well, now you're going to have to ask for some of these others and and make sure that they have, you know, one way or another, they're addressing this, this occurrence issue, Mm -hmm. you know, because the carriers are all addressing it different ways. Some are addressing the insuring agreement. Some are changing the definition of an occurrence. And some are even um, changing the definition or changing the exclusion for damage to your work. Sure. They're all addressing it differently. So as the association, we're trade association, we're part of what we do is advocate on behalf of contractors. Is there anything from an advocacy standpoint that we ought to be asking the Ohio General Assembly to do, change the law back to the way it used to be? Anything that we ought to be doing from an ad- advocacy standpoint? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as Brian was saying earlier, a number of other states have done something legislatively to address this. The, in Charles Construction, the Ohio Supreme Court itself even called that out and said to the effect of, if you guys don't like this decision, look at the example of Arkansas. The That's Arkansas Supreme Court had a similar uh, decision that put in a similar rule in place, and the Arkansas legislature said, we don't like that. They put a statute on the books to get rid of that rule. So absolutely, I think, um, organizations like CEA... Um, AGC also, of Ohio. AGC of Ohio. Also, I think it's important to remember owners' organizations should mm-hmm. get involved with this because they're going to be impacted by this too, as you were talking about earlier. Um, 
it, admittedly, the insurance lobby is, is pretty powerful in, I think, in every state. But the example of all those other states that have gotten it done show it's not, it's not impossible. Right. But it, it'll take everybody, you know, getting, their, getting in the same boat together, rowing in the same direction to get it done. Sure. I appreciate that. Yep. Are there places um, where one can find more information on the Charles case if they wanted to hear about it, read about it, or suggested practices uh, for uh, ensuring that their insurance coverage is on point? Absolutely, yeah. They can reach out to Brian or myself. We're happy to talk to anybody. Um, as I said, we've done a, a presentation on this a couple times now, mm-hmm. um, and we're happy to you know come out to people's offices, do the presentation, um, you know, reach out to us. We can send you the slides. Um, we can post the f- slides in the show notes for this episode. Yeah, that'd be, <clears throat> that'd be great. You know, I think it's interesting that you know we talk we we talk with the guys at Han Lozier a lot. We talk to a lot of other law firms, and I hear other law firms discuss this issue and there's a million different responses to this i heard a guy the other day say that with these endorsements everything's back the way it used to be period we don't need to talk about it anymore Mm. so my advice to your contractors at the cea would be make sure you have a law firm that you're working with that understands construction that specializes in construction not just a general practitioner Mm -hmm. uh it's it's amazing some of the answers that some of these attorneys out there are giving, and you, you you can tell that they just don't fully understand construction and what's going on with it, like a Han Lozier would. Right. Well, and I'll I'll return the compliment. I'll say you should also get an insurance broker like Brian and, and the guys at Oswald who know the industry, know the the importance of having the other types of covers that we talked about today. Um, who can who can help you walk through? You know, how should we package this claim? How should we submit this? Um, and just making sure you have the right coverages in place in the first place. Yeah. We're, we're also telling all of our clients ahead of time to talk with their attorney about their, their contracts, their subcontract agreement, make sure the risk transfer is up to date uh, because how you transferred risk before is not necessarily exactly how you need to transfer the risk right now. And, you know, GC shouldn't be paying a claim if the subcontractor is the one that actually screwed up. The subcontractor should. A lot of our contractors work repeatedly with good clients. Client will call them back when there's a new right. project or there's another right. maintenance issue. Want to expand the building. Uh, to keep those clients, to keep those relationships, if there's a problem on one of their buildings, should they just go ahead and fix that and then worry about the insurance after the fact? Or what, what should they do in that, in that case? Well, for me, that's a, that's a tough business decision. I mean, as you said, in, in a case like that where you've you had a good relationship with a client, you want to keep them happy, yeah, at the end of the day, you might end up doing that. My only hesitation as, you know, as a coverage counsel is that if you take an action like that without giving the insurance carrier any advance notice, without giving them the opportunity to come out and inspect, you mm-hmm. know, whatever the damage is that you're fixing, for instance, they can use that as a basis to deny coverage. They say that you prejudiced their right um, mm-hmm. as, as your insurance company by not giving them advance notice before voluntarily paying out the claim because there's no way for them to tell what the damage was right, right. They, i mean for instance they may have come out and decided we want to fight this we don't think you should do this or we should have to pay for it mm-hmm. um so yeah it, it comes down to at the end of the day like i said a business decision okay we would always want to get the insurance company involved as soon as possible yeah and then make a decision based on what you think your best business decision because it might be to go forward with it but 
you got to let the insurance company know you're exactly right, right. Matt. Yeah. And in, in a perfect world, I would always prefer to give the company, the insurance company advance notice before you do anything. Mm-hmm. Of course, this world we're in is, is far from perfect. So if you go ahead and fix that, you can pretty much bet that there's a risk you're going to eat that cost completely. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. This is definitely a risk of it. Yeah. 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 It's not guaranteed. Like I said, nothing's guaranteed, but it's a big risk. Right. Guys, thanks. We've been at it for 40 minutes, so we're going to wrap this up. But, Matt, how can people get a hold of you? You can reach me at uh, my email address is mgrasshoff at hanlaw.com. It's uh, G-R-A-S as in Sam, H-O-F-F as in Frank. Or you can reach me by phone at 216-274-2205. And what about you, Brian? Yep. So it's B. Hoagland, H-O-A-G-L-A-N-D, at oswaldcompanies.com. Uh, phone number 440-549-1605. And we're right at 12th and Superior in the Oswald Center building. So people can stop by anytime. We're, we're downtown. Yep. And like, I, like I said, Brian and I are happy to take our little show on the road. You want to have us out to your company? We, we've done it enough that we, we can we can get it done pretty quickly and, and uh, educate whomever needs it. And, uh, you know, the last one we had with you, Tim, was really good. Three of us got together mm-hmm. and did it. Mm-hmm. Worked out well. Glenn, anything else? No. All right. Guys, thanks a lot. And we'll look forward to having you on again. Yeah, appreciate Absolutely. you having us in. This, was, this worked out well. Thank yeah. you. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers Podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.